Hello, I'm Ren Ferguson. I'm one of the ministers here at the Collinsville Troy Church of Christ, and I'm glad that you have tuned in today as we continue this series on frequently asked uh, questions. And today we're going to be answering a very important question uh, that many people have, especially in the religious world, and that is the question, does the church that Jesus built uh, still exist today? Now this question is extremely important because of some of the things that we looked at last week, especially that of Matthew 16 and Ephesians 1, uh, 4, and 5. And so answering this question is extremely important, and there's a lot of passages and a lot of things to consider when answering this question. So this particular one might take us uh, more than one day to address, maybe two, possibly even three. We'll just have to, we'll just have to see how how it goes, but still trying to keep it to 10 minutes a day while answering these questions. As we begin this discussion, I think it's important for us to realize that in the scriptures, many times, not all the time, but many times whenever we read about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, things of that nature, it is a reference to the church. A lot of the times whenever we read the scriptures or we hear lessons done about these things, it is presented as though the church and the kingdom are not the same thing. And so as we begin addressing this question, the first thing I want to establish is the fact that the church and the kingdom oftentimes, again, not every single time, and it, it depends on context, but oftentimes is talking about the same institution. And so what we're going to do is try to show, at least in this segment and possibly in the next one, uh, try to show and explain that the kingdom and the church are talking often again, often talking about the same thing. And in order to do that, we're going to be looking at several different prophecies that we see recorded in the scriptures. And the first one that I would like to, to look at with you is Isaiah chapter 2. Now, if you're taking notes or doing anything like that or trying to remember this for your own study, it's, it's very easy. I always tell people just to remember the twos. Isaiah 2, uh, Daniel 2, and Joel 2. Because these are the three, not the only three, but the three main Old Testament prophecies that we have regarding the church and give us a lot of the, the fundamentals, a lot of the foundation for some of the New Testament prophecies regarding the kingdom and the church as well. And when we look at all of these things and put all of these things together, I think uh, the scriptures paint a very clear picture of the kingdom and the church. And so here in Isaiah chapter 2, this prophecy is contained in verses 1 through 5, where Isaiah uh, said there, or we see there in Isaiah 2, beginning in verse 1, The word that Isaiah the son of Amos saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills, and all the nations shall flow to it. And many peoples shall say and say, uh, Come, let us go to that mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many people. 
And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn more anymore. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the lights of the Lord. Now here we have a few important things in this particular prophecy. First of all, the general time period in which this prophecy was going to be fulfilled. Now Isaiah and Joel, which we're going to be looking at Joel's prophecy later, Isaiah and Joel do not really give a very specific time, uh, but the prophecy of Daniel, which we'll notice here in a minute, does give us a more specific time in which these things would be fulfilled. But either way, at the beginning of verse 2, he says, It shall come to pass in the latter days. He's saying this is not something that is going to happen relatively soon. And we'll notice a, a change of language between the Old Testament prophecies and New Testament prophecies to kind of draw this out a little bit more. But in verse 2, he says, It'll come to pass in the latter days. He's saying it's not about to happen, but at some point in the distant future, it is going to happen. Well, what is going to happen? The mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and all nations shall flow to it. Now, that's another key thing about this kingdom. You think about the children of Israel. You think about the law of Moses. It was contained to that one particular nation. But now Isaiah is saying in the distant future, in the latter days, the mountain of the Lord's house is going to be established and all nations are going to flow into it, which coincides perfectly with passages such as Romans chapter 1 and verse 16, that the gospel is for both the Jews and the Gentiles. It is for all mankind. The kingdom, the church that Christ built is for all of mankind. But also we have here, especially in verse 3, at the end of the verse, it says, For out of Zion shall go the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Now, the terms Zion and Jerusalem are referring to the same place. Jerusalem is the city, but Zion is the mountain on which Jerusalem was built. And so we see here, especially in this passage, three important things. First of all, it was going to come to pass in the latter days. Second, it was going to be for all nations. And finally, it was going to begin at the city of Jerusalem. So when we begin to put these things together, we begin to look at all of these other uh, prophecies, both in the Old and New Testament. We again begin to see a very clear picture of the church and of the kingdom being uh, brought together. Now, if you will, go to Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2. This is going to be the uh, second prophecy and probably the last one that we'll be able to look at uh, today, and we'll pick up in Joel probably tomorrow and looking at some other Old Testament prophecies. This, this answering this question may actually take up uh, the entire week. We'll see how it goes. But Daniel chapter 2 is a really interesting chapter, and we certainly don't have time to look at the entire chapter. But within the chapter, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. And long story short, Daniel interprets this dream for Nebuchadnezzar. And this dream was a picture of a man. His head was made of gold, his chest and arms were of silver, his belly and thighs were of brass, and his legs were of iron, and his feet were part of iron, part of clay. And throughout the interpretation of this, especially looking at verse 38, uh, 
Well, even backing up to verse 37. You, O king, talking to the king of Babylon, king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power and the might and the glory, and into whose hand he has given. Wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the fields, and the birds of the heavens, making you rule over them all. You are the head of gold. Another kingdom inferior to you shall arise after you, and yet a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. And there shall be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things. And like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all of these. So as Daniel was interpreting this dream of Nebuchadnezzar, he's saying all of these different, these different metals represent different kingdoms that are going to come after you. Now, if we were to look at uh, secular historical records, we know that the, the Babylonian Empire was destroyed by the Medes and the Persians. In fact, you read about the, the Persians, the Medes and the Persians coming into power even in the book of Daniel. So the Medes and the Persians were going to come into a power, and then after them we know that the Greeks came into, into power. That would have been the third kingdom. And then the fourth kingdom, as we study and as we look at these things, we see to be the Roman Empire. And in the or under the rule of the Roman Empire, if you look at verse 44, Daniel says, And in the days of those kings, talking about that fourth kingdom, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to other people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. So with Isaiah we see, okay, it's going to come to pass in the latter days. It is going to be for all nations. It's going to begin at Jerusalem. But here, especially with Daniel, we see a much more specific timeline of when the kingdom of God was going to be built. And that was during the reign of the Roman Empire, that fourth kingdom that Nebuchadnezzar had seen in his dream. And so here we have two of these very important Old Testament prophecies giving us details as to when and where and for whom the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, the church, was going to be. Now, unfortunately, that's all that we have time to discuss today, but I hope that you'll come back tomorrow as we're going to be looking at the prophecy of Joel and continuing uh, to look at various even New Testament prophecies regarding the church and the kingdom, again, trying to show that those two terms often are in reference to the same institution. So I hope that you'll come back tomorrow as we continue to look at this question. Thank you so much.